This is the Rocky Mountain Review for Thursday, September 3rd, 2020. I'm your host, Coda Babcock. And I'm Ivy Winfrey. And we've got a packed show planned for you today here at KCSU. On today's show, I'll be updating you on campus and local news. Then we'll be hearing from Nick Hyman about Fort Collins Sustainability Initiatives as we moved into Shift Your Ride Month. Following that, I'll be delivering some national news, and KCSU Assistant Sports Director Jonathan Gillum has prepared some updates on the CSU Volleyball Team Conference held yesterday. We'll also be hearing from Mark Fussell and Matt Zeman, the founders of Take Two Minutes Mental Health Tool. To conclude the show, Coda will be giving us some updates on COVID-19 and wishing everyone a safe Labor Day weekend. Let's move right into campus and local news. Hello there. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and you are listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. This is your campus and local news. Starting off the campus news, according to Jeff Dodge at CSU Source, Colorado State University is one of 14 universities from around the globe that have collectively been awarded $12.5 million by the National Science Foundation to launch a new biology integration institute called EMERGE. It will focus on better understanding ecosystem and climate interactions, such as the thawing of Arctic permafrost, and how they can alter everything from the landscape to greenhouse gases. EMERGE, which stands for Emergent Ecosystem Response to Change, is a five-year project that will concentrate on discovering how the processes that sustain life and enable biological innovation operate and interact, with an end goal to create models to predict how ecosystems will respond to change. The research will be done in Storleden Meyer, a long-study peatland in northern Sweden, where permafrost thaw drives changes in the landscape, plants, and microbes. The Institute, launching in September, will also have a strong training, education, and outreach component and will involve biologists at the postdoctoral, graduate, and undergraduate levels. Jenny Cross, a professor in CSU's Department of Sociology, and Kelly Wrighton, an associate professor in the Department of Soil and Crop Sciences, are co-principal investigators on the project. Cross and her colleagues in the Institute for Research in the Social Sciences will provide facilitation and team science training for the large team, helping the various scientists from different fields communicate and work together effectively. To find out more information about the Emerge program, you can visit Ohio State University's website for it at osu.edu emerge. According to Joe Giordano at CSU Source, Colorado State University is now offering students the opportunity to complete participating degree programs in less time as part of the new Accelerated Programs initiative. Under Accelerated Programs, students can graduate by the end of their third spring or summer term by taking classes through CSU Summer. Select programs in the College of Business, College of Health and Human Sciences, the College of Liberal Arts, the College of Natural Sciences, and the Warner College of Natural Resources are participating. CSU is encouraging students to meet with their academic advisors for details. According to CSU Summer Director Anne Val Arstall, quote, It's an option for motivated students to make steady progress towards a degree and graduate in less than four years, and the program is available to incoming students as well as students currently on track for early graduation, end quote. 
According to CSU's university communication staff, the sidewalk immediately south of Gifford Hall on the north side of Lake Street will be closed to repair a utility under the walk on September 8th and 9th. The bike lane adjacent to the sidewalk will also be closed. For more information, you can contact Clay Tucker at 970-556-4926 or Jason Weitzel at 970-556-4726. Moving on to local news, according to a press release from the city of Fort Collins, Fort Collins has implemented Stage 2 fire restrictions, effective Monday, August 31st. This is an indefinite ban on open burning of solid fuels, including but not limited to wood burning, campfires, portable or built-in outdoor wood burning fire pits, and charcoal grills, and will stay in place until further notice. Exemptions to the ban include liquid or gas-fueled fires in fire pits, grills, camp stoves, indoor fireplaces, and wood burning stoves. This decision was made by City Manager D Darren Attenbury after a consultation with Poudre Fire Authority uh, Fire Chief Tom DeMint and extensive reviews of current weather conditions, precipitation, fire restrictions in other communities, fire fuel moisture levels, air quality, suppression resources, and other factors. Fire Chief DeMint said of the conditions that led to this decision, quote, Conditions remind me of the 2012 season. The incredibly hot and dry days have led to a series of red flag warnings. We need to work together to protect our community and prevent the sparks that could lead to wildfires. If there is a concern about a potential violation of this order and it is not an emergency, you can submit a complaint through Access Fort Collins or call the city's nuisance hotline at 970-416-2200. Community members who have health and safety concerns about an active fire can contact the Fort Collins non-emergency dispatch line at 970-221-6540. And for emergencies, you are always encouraged to call 911. According to Miles Blumhardt at the Coloradoan, the Cameron Peak fire is remaining at around 23,000 acres. It is now at 5% containment, as reported Tuesday, September 1st, thanks in large part to due to a recent bout of rain, which seriously reduced the fire's activity. A survey of the area taken via aircraft Monday found a section of the western boundary of the fire stopped in sparse fuels along a ridgeline. Fire managers are confident that this section of the fire edge is contained. Despite the developments, Colorado Highway 14 remains closed from west of Cameron Pass, mile point 61 for eastbound traffic and at mile point 91 westbound traffic. And that's the local and campus news. Now we're going to be hearing from Nick Hyman from the City of Fort Collins about Shift Your Ride Month. So to start out with, what is your role in Shift Your Ride? Good morning, my name is um, Nick Hyman and I'm a program specialist with the City of Fort Collins our, in our Active Modes program. Um, my role with Shift Your Ride is to co-manage it. So between um, Jensen Morgan, a specialist in our climate action uh, program, um, he really championed the concept of shift and started to advance that forward. And with my role in uh, transportation planning and largely coordinating some of our typical large public facing events, uh, we thought that it made a lot of sense to focus on 
transportation, not necessarily as it relates to climate action. Obviously, that's important to us, but more for trying to get at the root of um, what matters to people most, really talking about personal priorities and how transportation factors into those uh, in your daily life. All right, thank you. And then um, just to follow up, why does the city dedicate an entire month to shift your ride? Uh, that's a good question. So typically we dedicate a whole month to bicycling. Um, across the country, most national bike months occur in May, but in Colorado, we delay that until June typically. But given the current world circumstances, uh, a lot of communities began to delay their bike months. And that really gave us an opportunity to, to take a pause and think, okay, we do so many great things for bicycling in this community. We want to continue to do great things for bicycling in Fort Collins, but we also want to start to raise awareness about all the other ways that people can shift their rides and, and go car free. It's really easy to uh, to think about using bikes or walking or transit for essential trips at this point in time. Um, but scooters are coming out. We just released uh, Bird 2, their newest model for Bird uh, electric scooters. So there's a lot of ways that, that people can be mobile um, and we're really about raising awareness uh, about how those different modes can fit in into your life with whatever you need to do whether it's running errands whether it's going to work or to class or whether it's being social and, and seeing your friends all right thank you and then um another follow-up is how can students really work to shift their ride in their busy schedule with getting groceries, with going to clubs and other events, with going to class in person or online now? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that the, the idea of time management is really critical when we're talking about transportation. Um, one thing that we are really trying to promote with Shift Your Ride Month is the ability to do active transportation, which also can serve as like a daily bout of exercise, for example. So if you can get your exercise on a bike or while walking as part of your commute, that frees up some time so that you can do other things. So again, it's talking about that priority. And for so many of us, I think that time um, is a big priority. And finding ways to be efficient and try to combine maybe it's trips or trying to co combine things like exercise into your commute by using an active mode um, are all ways that, that kind of get at this bigger concept of, of overall time management. All right, thank you. And then um, I know that in previous years, um, the shift program has done some kind of giveaway event type deals where you could get a, a shift your cup um, cup. Are there any kind of events going on to promote switching away from car-based transportation this month? Yeah, absolutely. And we think that incentives are really important um, in terms of, of giving people a reason to shift their ride. So we are um, offering a chance to win a bike for community members that take our pledge. Um, our pledge is is really this, this component to the campaign that we're trying to, to to get people to take some initiative and to have some accountability. But we also know that when people make decisions uh, based on their own frame of mind, that they're much more likely to succeed at those. So we're gonna sweeten the deal by offering somebody a bike. And, and we hope that we can continue to offer things like bikes as part of these campaigns. Um, not necessarily just for, you know, for, for, for everybody, of course, we're, we're, we certainly open that possibility to everybody, but we're starting to see some ways that we might change our incentive type programming. 
um, more to focus on equity. This idea that there are people in our community that um, are living with a lot less and who typically don't have the same types of service delivery. Um, and to us, that's really important that we focus on the, the populations in our community that are typically underserved and try to, uh, try to work in a manner that uh, not only lifts them up, but also is, continues to refine this culture around bicycling and other um, active-based active modes of transportation or, or activity in general. All right, and then just out of curiosity, um, how have other sustainability initiatives from the city of Fort Collins, if you know, um, really worked on equity and access for people who are lower income in our community? This is a great question. To me, the topic of equity is um, really personal. It's something that I've, I've developed even more of a passion for. Um, and it's also something that I'm seeing much more priority within the city as an organization. Um, I think that that equity when we're talking about climate action in particular is is going to remain a, a central tenant um, because we've seen how things not just in this community but in, in all kinds of other communities across the country where um, for far too long we haven't really been taking this equitable approach to service delivery so as we continue to to get innovative with our with our programming and innovative in the ways that we deliver programming and, and innovative in the types of incentives that we're offering to folks um, i think that we'll see more and more of the city organization really come come along along with us um, our city council at this point is, has an interest and a priority in equity issues. Uh, we're seeing that not just in transportation and climate action, but from our utilities programs um, and, and others as well. And then if students want to get involved with the shift movement, um, how can they do that? Uh, the first and easiest thing to do is to take the pledge. Um, anything that we've that we're really trying to promote, we've consolidated onto a single website. That website is available at www.fcgov.com/syr for shift your ride, and we've compiled a bunch of resources, some quick steps for how anybody might be able to, to visit our website and say, okay, well, bicycling may not do it for me, but I, I think I can get into walking. So we've offered a few steps on how you might start walking or bicycling or riding a scooter for, for your trips and, um, and even transit for essential trips as well. Um, we've also put some um, some passive fun games. We realize that um, while we while we would like to, and we see a big a big missing component to so much of our programming in the COVID world, where we can't really gather in large groups. Um, so we've we've pivoted on that front a bit as well to offer some passive activities like bikeway bingo. We've got several different themes for our bingo cards. We even have five variations of each of those cards so that somebody can download it, grab a group of friends and, you know, and go out and have a little bit of fun. So the idea really is to try to bring in, bring in some fun, um, bring in some suggestions and some opportunities that don't cost anything for, for anybody so that it really can be um, an easy way to, to shift the way that you, that you move around and shift some of that time and money to things that matter most to you. All right, thank you. And then before we go, do you have anything that you want to say about Shift Your Ride, about Fort Collins, city government, anything along those lines? 
You know, I am so fortunate to work for this, for the city of Fort Collins, for our local government. It's working in government to me is uh, a really important step, especially in maintaining a welcoming and an open community. Like I've seen Fort Collins become over the last, and even more so over the last 10 years. I've been here for about 11 years or so. Um, and so I'm, I'm just so honored to be able to have a, a job like this. And to me, it's, it, it is so important that this work continues to be innovative when we're talking about how we're delivering it, that it's innovative and when we're talking about the audiences that we're trying to gauge and that we really take an equitable approach. All right, thank you so much. Again, that's Nick Hyman from Shift Your Ride, the Fort Collins um, initiative for switching transportation styles. All right, thank you so much again. Thanks, Coda. That was Nick Hyman from the city of Fort Collins. We'll be right back, so stay tuned to Rocky Mountain Review, only on 90.5 KCSU. back on the Rocky Mountain Review. Up next, we'll be talking to Mark Fussell and Matt Zeman from Take Two Minutes. Up next, we're talking to Mark Fussell and Matt Zeman, the lead developer and lead promoter of happiness for take2minutes.org, a tool for mindfulness and mental health support. Um, can you guys just quickly explain your roles um, in founding the platform Take Two Minutes, as well as what your goals really were in um, the type of people who would access it, um, the response you'd get back. Right, so it started, I'll give you a bit of history about it. Um, I had a son who at the time was in high school and he was going through a little bit of tough times, um, high school, maybe drama we could even call it, but it was just bringing him down a little bit. And so I started texting him some positive messages every day just to kind of lift his spirits, things that uh, just let him know he's loved and what have you. Um, those messages kind of snowballed into just being positivity messages and I, I'm a programmer by default by nature and so I made this little application that started sending him a message every day just at noon um, after a while uh, some of his friends wanted to receive it and so I kept increasing and making the application better and better and before I know it um, I had 200 people using it who I didn't know and people were liking it a lot so that kind of sparked the interest that there was people who liked this sort, these sort of messages and needed this sort of uh, uplift in their life. And so then Matt and I hooked up and Matt and I have worked together for years. We've known each other for about 10 years, maybe more. And um, we got, Matt got us in touch with Dr. Brian Sexton out of Duke University. And Dr. Sexton has uh, 
a grant to research happiness, for lack of better terms, as I put it simply. And he has about eight years of data around activities that can help people get into a better mind state about resilience. And so we hooked up with him and learned all about some of his activities. And we put those into Take Two Minutes too. So Take Two Minutes is really an, uh, a platform that is meant to help people in different ways. When I say help, help you hopefully get into a more positive mindset or recognize positivity in your life uh, as you use the activities. And we're up to, I don't know, Matt, we've probably got a good six, seven, eight different types of activities now at this point. All right, awesome. Can you tell me about what some of those activities are? Yeah, absolutely. So when you sign up, you get access to the positive messages. We call it social positivity. You can set when you want to receive your positive messages. And the reason behind that is because some people might get up at six o'clock in the morning and want to see something positive then. Some people at the end of their day want to see something positive when the work's done. So you can set when you want to receive those messages. Uh, outside just getting a positive message, you can also set up uh, daily messages for the meditations. We call it meditation of the day. So we have a 10 minute meditation that's sent out every day to people who want to receive it. And those are, in my mind, just beautiful meditations. And you don't even have to be someone who wants to meditate to benefit from the messages and the meditations because quite often the messages have a positive message built into the meditation. So on and above the idea of meditating, you can get some positivity just, just from listening to uh, the messages in the meditation. Outside of those, we have something called My Happy List. And the idea behind My Happy List is you can keep a list of things you know make you happy. And we try to tell people to not use generic things, but very specific uh, thoughts. So instead of saying, my family makes me happy, maybe you're be more specific, like the vacation last summer and wherever makes me happy because of this. So use very specific um, thoughts around it. And then when you're having a tough moment, you can text to our system, send me something that makes me happy. It'll pick something out of your list and send it back to you. That's uh, my happy list um, is what that one was. We also have gratitude journaling. Gratitude journaling is uh, very, very popular these days and known to help people with resilience and recognition of the positivity in their lives. Similar to everything else, you can set up reminders to receive the gratitude journal entry at a certain time of day. And the way all these things work, everything's around text messaging. We did it very purposefully with text messaging instead of an app on your phone. And the reason being is an app on your phone, there's, there's, uh, there's, there's a lot of apps for phones, first off. But on and above that, research has shown that when an app sends you a notification, those notifications are only read about 24% of the time, whereas a text message is read about 92% of the time. And actually that 92% is within three minutes of receiving it. So we can show that the messages we send are much better received because they're coming via text or SMS. Um, so all these things, such as a gratitude journaling, you receive a text saying, you know, you wanted a gratitude journal on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. Here's your link. It's time to do it. You click the link, you go to the entry, and you fill out your gratitude journal entry. With gratitude journaling, um, we added the a, a, a second part to it. Actually, there's three parts to the gratitude journal. One is your mood check-in, where you select kind of how you're feeling from a option of 12 different moods. There's your gratitude journal entry. Then we also have the um, three questions we ask you to pick one of, and those are rotating questions, so they'll change every time. You pick a question, and the questions are all supposed to help you think of positivity in your life. So you pick a question and answer it as well, and that's your gratitude journal entry. We also have um, 
three good things. Three good things is a fantastic exercise. It has a lot of research and, and data behind it to help with um, your mental well-being. The idea behind three good things is before you go to bed, roughly within 90 minutes of going to bed, you should get the text message for your three good things entry and you fill it out and it's basically thinking of three good things you did that day or not necessarily you did. It could be something you did, something you witnessed or something that you partook in. So something just good that you experienced in that day, list those three things and you save your entry. The process that goes on is it puts your mind into a positive state when you fall asleep then. And while you're sleeping, your mind kind of goes through a, a cleanup process, but it, it cleans up in a, in a positive state for lack of better terms. And it helps you wake up then with more positivity because you went to bed with all these positive thoughts in your mind. If you do that exercise uh, per Dr. Sexton studies for 15 days, it has a better effect on your psyche than taking medications and it, the effects will last up to six months, meaning that 15 days of activity can have positive effects on you for up to six months afterwards even. So it's a really wonderful exercise. Um, Matt, what am I missing? We have other activities. You know, one, one thing for Colorado State um, students that they might be into is we have a whole bunch of activities on help me sleep. Um, so I know they're, they're, there's a lot going on in the day. They um, they get they get to back to the, the room and they're charged up and they need to help sleep. We've gone out and found research on self-hypnosis techniques that just work. So um, they can simply text, help me sleep, and we'll send them a, um, a self-hypnosis technique to help them sleep. Or if they play on the website and look at the different ways you can configure it, they might say, help me sleep with ocean waves and the firework exercise. And then we'll send them that. So they don't have to go to the computer. They can just text and, and get some help. So That's awesome. Yeah, Koda. We, um, the only thing I'm gonna add that Mark has in is everything we've built, and I think this is what hopefully matters to uh, the, the Colorado State students, is it's designed to lower burnout and depression, help with their school life balance, um, and just lead to higher levels of happiness. So whatever activities work for them. Oh, that's great. Um, just a curi out of curiosity, um, has there been an increase in usage since the pandemic, since people can't really escape certain things like work at home, working at home is now more common. Um, you're generally, you have a harder time having a work-life balance or a school-life balance if everything is always there. So has um, that environment changed um, or improved people's usage of the program. Yeah, I'll take this one if you don't mind. This is uh, Mark. The um, what's super cool for us is Google just gave us a grant. Um, I guess almost six weeks ago at this point that we get ten thousand dollars a month to uh, use on advertising. And uh, I think combined with the pandemic, every single day we are seeing new subscribers signing up, um, and it's just cool to cool to watch. And then because the uh, we do we don't monitor the text in real time. It's kind of an automated system, but we do check this to see what is coming in, and the messages are just incredible. I think this is really helping a ton of students and young adults across the country on uh, increase their happiness. Yeah, it is a chat bot too, Coda. So people send messages back quite often, and the chat bot tries to respond to their messages they send back. And so uh, sometimes we check those messages for accuracy to make sure we're responding appropriately. So that's where we see some of the positive uh, feedback people are sending back to us. 
That's really interesting. Thanks. Um, and then out of more of a personal question, um, how do you think that doing this has kind of improved your own mental health and your own um, feeling of purpose? I feel good about it because we're helping people and we're getting feedback from the people we're helping. It's really, it was designed and targeted for people in their you know, later high school, early college, young adults is what we, we like to say. And uh, we're seeing and we're getting a lot of feedback from people that really like it. We're getting to talk to a lot of people and uh, hopefully expose it to more and more people so people can use the activities. And you know, the other good thing is we, we do like feedback. Sometimes we people actually email us with ideas and we love to hear that because uh, the goal is to, is to do what we can to help people be more positive. And this is going to be our first uh, semester where classrooms are using us. We have colleges in Canada and the United States that are actually incorporating Take Two into their uh, curriculums this year, which is which is super cool for us. Um, when we started Take Two Minutes, we had a lot of discussions because Mark and I both worked for, for bigger companies and, and, and entrepreneurial ventures and we talked, we want to do this as a for-profit and try to build something and make some money. And, and the more we talked, especially with Dr. Sexton, it was, no, we don't want to profit from the suffering from of others. So take two minutes. Our goal was to make this free for the end user. Um, and we get a lot of satisfaction when we see new subscribers coming up. Um, even though it actually costs us more money every month when that happens, but it's, it's just, it's great to see. Um, and Coda, the only other thing I'm going to add here is just personally, since I've adopted a practice of meditating three or four times a week, journaling three or four times a week, I've just found that my stress is down. My anxiety is down. There is, uh, and my ability to connect with the people I work with, the people in my family is, is up and, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a huge advocate of these tools. All right, thank you. And then um, just quickly, if our listeners are at all interested in this, um, what's the number that they text to get involved or the website they go to? The website is uh, take2minutes.org and you can enter your phone number there to join. And again, it asks for the phone number because it is all text-based. So we're not, it's, all, it's not all text-based. You can do everything online as well, but we send reminders via text-based. The phone number is 717 717- six seven four two seven seven nine so seven one seven six seven four two seven seven nine all right and then do you either of you have anything to add about take two minutes before we go but i want to ask i mean just turn the questions back to you for a moment have you tried meditating gratitude journals any of that kind of stuff that we're talking about here does this ring true for you or do you have any experience uh, yeah, I've done gra- gratitude journaling. I actually grew up Buddhist, so um, meditation was a big part of my life growing up. Um, I, I, I kind of, I use it sometimes and other times it's not as useful for me, depending on like if I'm able to focus, things along those lines. But I have found that those tools are useful personally. And gr- growing up, did you, um, did you think that was kind of like a hidden uh, skill that you had that maybe some of your friends hadn't, hadn't gotten to yet? Um, I think that I generally as a child was very quiet and it allowed me to reflect in a way that I feel like some other kids weren't able to or some other teenagers weren't able to. Definitely. Yeah, I'll yeah. use the analogy also the, that I've heard. I like this analogy that 
trying to build happiness or resilience or getting yourself into a positive place is like anything else that you're trying to do. It takes effort. So if you're if you are into going to the gym, you don't go to the gym once to be get in shape. You go to the gym repeatedly to get in shape. That's where our exercises. We try to give a lot of options. So if somebody does want to meditate on Tuesdays and Fridays, but that's all they want to do, but they want a gratitude journal other days, they can mix it up and try to get a little bit of positivity every day in their lives. So they're they're making a habit out of it. There's also a lot of research, um, Coda, that says that you're better off doing a few meditations that are short versus trying to cram in a long one. So you'd be better doing three 10-minute meditations in a week versus one 30-minute. Um, and, and again, that's everything on our, uh, all of our activities are, we understand that, that co college students don't have a lot of time and we try to make everything as brief as possible. That's where the two minutes came from. It's, there's 1,440 minutes in a day. You can take two of them for yourself. Might be the only two minutes you get for yourself, but take the two. Um, so hopefully the Colorado State University students who try this will, will say, okay, I can afford two minutes for myself um, and, and enjoy the experience. All right, thank you so much for your time. This has been um, a really eye-opening interview for me to go through as well. Um, thanks for turning the question back on me a little bit. Um, but thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Again, that was Mark Fussell and Matt Zeman at Take Two Minutes. Their services can be accessed at take2minutes.org for those who are interested. Next up, we're moving into National News for Thursday. That was National News for Thursday. I'm Koda Babcock, and this is National News for September 3rd, 2020. According to Anzi Lo Wang at NPR, a Census Bureau analysis leak warned that, quote, serious errors discovered in the data may not be fixed due to a lack of time to research and understand the root cause or to rerun and review one or multiple state files, end quote. The census is only collected once a decade and reflects how many representatives each state receives, as well as how many electoral votes their state is worth in national elections. With current time restraints on collecting the count, the U.S. Census Bureau has, quote, deprioritized the other legally required set of census results, end quote. The detailed data recording the demographic information needed for redistricting in 2021, for example. Lawmakers in Congress have begun pushing to include extensions for census result reporting in the next coronavirus relief package. The data reported in the census allows for the federal government to distribute an estimated $1.5 trillion in funding to states every year. The source of the document has not yet been released. According to the New York Times reporter Ozzy Paibara, a police officer in California is facing charges for felony manslaughter after shooting a black man during an interaction in a San Leandro Walmart. According to District Attorney Nancy O'Malley, the encounter between the officer and his victim, Stephen Taylor, happened in less than 40 seconds. She also said that the officer failed to use other de-escalation methods, which made his use of force a violation of state law. The Trump administration has announced sanctions against the chief prosecutor of the International Criminal Court. The prosecutor currently assigned to investigate allegations of war crimes against the U.S. while in Afghanistan, reports Laurel Wamsley of NPR. The U.S. is not part of the ICC, and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo announced the sanctions Wednesday, saying that the ICC is a, quote, thoroughly broken and corrupt institution, end quote. Both the prosecutor and the court jurisdiction head of the ICC were added to the Treasury Department's specially designated nationals list, which effectively freezes any U.S. assets that two individuals might have. 
The ICC plans to investigate interrogation techniques used by the U.S. specifically regarding torture, cruel treatment, outrages among personal dignity, and sexual violence based on a policy approved by U.S. authorities. That's all for today's national news. Next up, we're hearing some new updates on the CSU Volleyball press conference with the help of Jonathan Gillum. Hello everyone, it's Jonathan Gillum for KCSU Sports. This week we had a kind of a big press release happen. CSU Rams Volleyball head coach Tom Hilbert and a couple players reacted for the first time publicly on the ending of the season and we're here to bring you the clips from that. The first question Coach Hilbert was asked was what it's like not coaching this fall for the first time since a very long time. Well, it would I would have been 24 years old, so like 36 years ago. Uh, and it really is interesting because, you, you know, when you're in this line of work, and I've done it for so long, I mean, it's all I've done in my adult life, and then now we're in the fall and I'm not doing it, it's really a void. It really is, and it's interesting. It's, it's given me a little glimpse into what retirement might be like, and I don't particularly like it, you know? Coach was then asked how they are treating the season in terms of training with the COVID ordeal going on. We're treating it like an off season. So we're doing two weeks of um, what we call eight hour weeks where their practices are really short and we're lifting. And then starting on the 14th, we're going into a little bit longer. We're going to still only go three days a week, but we're going to expand our practices to two hours a day and um, sort of go in this kind of hybrid schedule uh, for the rest of September. And then, you know, what we're, we're kind of waiting to see what the NCAA is going to say with regards to a spring season. They haven't told us anything to this point. And uh, it's interesting because, you know, from a compliance standpoint, we have to count the number of days consecutive that we have in a practice segment. And the total number of both can't be over 132. So we have to know eventually what we're going to be doing in, this, in the second semester. Uh, we've got to have some idea in order for us to comply with NCAA rules. So we're kind of just being very cautious right now and easing our way into practice. Um, but it's been good. I mean, you know, I'll say that I felt, I feel better getting to go into the gym with these guys and practice with them because they're working hard and, you know, we're, we're getting better. We're actually working on things and we're indoctrinating these freshmen into, uh, into what we're doing. And we're, today we had a really nice competitive drill at the end of practice. And, uh, I think Hopefully the players find it as fun as I do because it's something that I've missed and I haven't been able to do it since you know, last March. Next, coach was asked, how, do, how does it feel not being able to do all the community events that you used to be able to do? And it, it's, there, there's a void there and I would like to figure out, you know, obviously we have to, you can't go to big, there aren't any big gatherings to go to, you know, so we can't do those things. Uh, we'll do them again someday and uh, we talk about them to the new players um, and I know it's important to our program and I know our players really embrace it and like doing it so we're looking forward to doing it again but it's just one of those things in COVID that we can't do right now. 
And then I know you said you, you really don't have any idea on a spring season, you know, what that may look like. I do not even have any clue, you know, if it'll be conference only or anything like that. Is that, are you got are you even having conversations with any, you know, powers that be yet? No, we're not. Uh, um, what's happening is our coaches association, we're having conversations with our coaches association and they are, they are giving the NCAA, uh, what coaches would like to do, but the NCAA does not have to listen to that in, in any form. They can do whatever they'd like to do. They, we got a survey a few weeks ago saying, you know, how long would you like the season to be? How many teams would you like in the NCAA tournament? That kind of thing. And, but I don't know what the results were for that. And, that, you know, the one thing we've learned through this whole COVID thing is everybody keeps their cards really close to the vest. And, um, you know, we as coaches want to be optimistic and we want to tell the players this is we're going to do something meaningful here. And we hope that the NCAA comes through and, and gives that to us. Then coach was asked what he would like to see during the coaching negotiations for the new season. I'd like to see us play a 10 week season at least. Uh, I don't know that that's going to happen, but that that would be my preference. Um, and then, you know, we could do uh, a, a double round robin within our league in a 10-week season. Um, you know, at playing out of conference, it's probably we would only be able to play people who are within a certain, you know, a driving distance. So we could get maybe DU and I'd love to get CU. Uh, you know, we'd love to play those teams. I, I just, you know, I think the NCAA will probably come out and say, here's when our championship's going to be. You guys need to decide what you're going to do and leave it up to the conferences to make that decision. That's what I think will happen. Um, and, you know, who knows what these conferences will decide to do. I, I've stopped trying to guess a long time ago because I'm almost always wrong. Next, Coach talks about his feelings and what he was thinking when the season was canceled. I wasn't surprised, but I was very disappointed. Um, we had put together a really nice non-conference schedule and one of the best that we've had in a long time. And um, But as you started to see um, some of the conferences and what they were talking about with regards to football. And then, you know, some of the, when the bigger conferences started saying they're going to go conference only, um, you immediately started seeing some of the smaller conferences either cancel fall sports or go to conference only by themselves. So, you know, as those, as soon as you see some of the bigger schools doing it, you pretty much know the Mountain West is going to follow suit. Um, and so, it was, it was, that's the only way I can describe it. It was disappointing, but it wasn't surprising because um, we just know that this whole COVID thing has been worse than we thought it was going to be. Next, the coach was asked, without competition, how can they integrate these freshmen? Well, <clears throat> you can't replace competition as a developmental tool. You, you really can't. I mean, you, you need to get out and play people. Um, and you know, you know, you made the statement that we're going to have 
four or five months, but we're, we're really easing into it. And we're probably not going to have any more practices than we would have had <clears throat> had we had a real spring last spring. I mean, we got cut off before we could get into our whole developmental phase. So our returning players lost a great deal of practice opportunity and some scrimmage opportunity last spring. So really we've lost quite a bit. And I think uh, the only thing that I see as an advantage is yes, we do have a lot of freshmen. So we're getting, we're letting those freshmen get in and get a lot of reps. And secondly, everybody's in the same boat we are. So, you know, we just have to, I, I stopped <clears throat> worrying about it. I was really worried about it for the first two or three months of this whole deal. And then I just kind of let it go and said, this is it's, it's out of everybody's control and we need to just train our team the best we can, not worry about things and not get the players all worried and worked up because we don't really know what's going to happen. There's so much out of our control. So let's just go in and try to be teachers and coaches and make people better at volleyball and, and have some fun doing it. And hopefully when things roll around, we'll start playing and we can develop uh, through some of those competitions. Next coach was asked, what freshmen have stood out to him? I think every incoming kid has shown us something that has led us to believe that they will be great contributors. And, you know, I, I'll start with Karina Lieber. I mean, she's, she is a very talented middle, very physical, very adept as a player, sees the game well. Um, she's got some of the same freshman issues that a lot of people have, but she is, she's going to make up for a lot of it by the fact that she's really, really physical and big. Um, Kennedy Stanford, very competent, good ball handler, great feet to the ball, great lineup, good vision. Uh, she had a practice today and she was, she played with really great maturity. Uh, for, for the kind of practice that we put her in. Um, Alyssa Groves is the big left-hander. Uh, she's got, she needs to develop as a player, but then you watch her and it's like, she puts up a bigger block on the right side than anybody we've had in a long time. She's huge. Now she's probably a kid that we would redshirt, but now everybody's redshirting. So, you know, it's one of those deals where we're gonna get what we wanted there. Uh, Naima Weathers, another very physical kid. We've got to get some weight on her and get her developed into a, a more sort of uh, refined player in how she sees the game, but she's really dynamic. Um, we've got a backup setter named Barrett Power, who is, for a freshman, is really good and really competent and get in and compete in drills. We have two defensive players, Helena. Uh, Perez, who's really good, Ruby Kaiser, they're both real competent, good players that can serve, receive, and play defense. Um, and then we've got a junior college transfer in the middle, Genesis Sheridan, who uh, she's she's been sick a lot lately, but the practices she's come into, she has been outstanding. And so I think we've got a lot of talent. I think our returning players would agree. They look at these kids and go, they're they're really good. Coach was then asked what message he has for the greater CSU community and the student body. Yeah, what I'd like to say is it's going to be a long drought 
before we get to see live sports. And I hope that our students and the members of our community come out and celebrate with us when we're able to go back and do this. And I think that there's gonna be a lot of sports packed into a two or three month period. And it's gonna be a lot for everybody to come to, but I hope they all come to it because we've missed it. And I think that, you know, this community really supports volleyball. They support every sport, but they really support volleyball. And I really hope that uh, they people come out and show the world uh, that we that we love this sport, and um, I think it'll be a great deal of fun for everybody. Then coach was asked, "What other options were available other than canceling the season that were still safe for the students?" You know, I'm not an expert, so I don't really know. Yeah, you know, I'm just gonna we, we do what the health experts tell us to do. Um, you know, we work very hard to try to keep everybody safe now. You know, we have protocols in practice. We're wearing masks. Every time we take a break, we sanitize our hands before we go get drinks or anything like that. Um, we're staying very clean and we're staying separate, you know, as distance from each other as we can. And, um, you know, I think, I think our players are, are acting responsibly off the court. And I think those are the things that we need to do right now, Jonathan, to prove to the county health people that we can do this right. So that's where we're at right now. We're in a period where we're training and taking advantage of that opportunity and proving that we can do it right. And hopefully then uh, we'll be approved to play matches in the spring. Next coach was asked, how COVID is affecting the culture that he is trying to instill in these younger classes? Um, I can't answer that question until we get deeper into it. We're, we are working hard as a coaching staff to try to figure out ways to do the same kind of things that we've always done to try to help team culture. And I observe our players working hard every day. Um, and I think that uh, they're working hard and off the court in the weight room and, and conditioning. So those type of elements are still there. Um, I think that you are gonna see uh, this freshman class, it's so large and those kids are tending to bond together. I think that's really good for our team. Um, I, but you know, at the, more, the longer we go, I wanna make sure that all of us um, get integrated together as a team. I know from my standpoint, you know, I, I went the entire summer, spring and summer, without even being in the same room with most of these guys. And I missed it. And it's, you know, I'm at a point now where I'm trying to, you know, have socially distanced coffee breaks with people just to get to know them a little bit better because, you know, I've missed a great deal of that stuff. And, but we'll do that. We know that's important as a coaching staff. We know it's important as for our team dynamic. Um, you know, we're, we, we will do certain things with players in small group activities, and we will continue to try to cultivate our team uh, dynamic. And, and I think we're doing a pretty good job with it right now, but obviously it can be better and it will be when we get freed up to do more. Wow, what great news to finally hear the coach react to the canceling of the season and that's going to do it for this sports segment on the rmr
For KCSU Sports, I'm Jonathan Gillum, and I'll catch you next time. COVID-19 updates with CODA. The CDC is now asking states to plan for the possibility of a COVID-19 vaccine being distributed between late October and early November, according to Rachel Treisman at NPR. Three vaccines for the virus are currently in phase three trials in the U.S. A letter from CDC Director Robert Redfield was reported, also reported to ask governors to prepare permits and licensing to get, redistribu- to get distribution sites prepared by November 1st of this year. Normally, the manufacturing of vaccines for complex illnesses can take years when also taking approval and testing into account, which could be a risk when it comes to widespread public approval and acceptance. FDA Commissioner Stephen Hahn said that he would use an emergency use authorization if data showed that it was necessary, and stressed the choice would be based on data exclusively rather than politics. According to NPR's Will Stone, at least 12 states have linked COVID-19 cases to Sturgis, a motorcycle rally in South Dakota. Over 260 cases have been linked to the rally, with nearly 100 of those cases in South Dakota. Some reports say that mask wearing was not heavily seen at Sturgis, and some events were heavily crowded with little to no social distancing policies being implemented. South Dakota's governor encouraged people to attend the rally despite the potential for it to cause outbreaks across the country. However, Sturgis, North Dakota's city manager has said that mitigation efforts have mostly prevented new cases among Sturgis residents, with only 26 new cases out of 650 people tested. Larimer County has a total of nearly 2,000 cases of COVID-19 and 43 deaths related to the virus. Larimer County also has had five new positive cases in the past 24 hours as of Thursday morning, and nine days in the past two weeks with over 15 new positive coronavirus cases. Five COVID-19 patients are currently in the hospital with hospitalization hospitalization utilization at 66% and ICU utilization at 80%. About one in five Larimer County residents has been tested, although that number could be lower due to some residents being tested multiple times. The state of Colorado has had a total of over 58,000 cases with nearly 2,000 deaths among those cases. The U.S. currently has a total of over 6 million cases of COVID-19 and nearly 185,000 deaths associated with the virus. In the last week, case numbers have gone up by more than a quarter of a million people. Information for this segment was gathered from the National Public Radio, the CDC, Larimer County, and the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. That's all for today's COVID-19 news and updates. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Now we're moving on to the weather. Weather today is going to get pretty warm with a high of 85 degrees peaking around 6 p.m. and a low of 55. Tomorrow it's going to heat up a little more with a high of 92 and a low of 58 degrees, followed by Saturday's high of nearly 100 degrees at 98 and a low of 63. Sunday is just about the same with some additional cloud cover, but still 98 degrees for the high and 58 for the day's low. 
On Monday, it'll cool down just a bit with a high of 91 and a low of 41. And on Tuesday, there's a predicted drop all the way down to 51 degrees for the high and 33 degrees for the low. And for Wednesday, you'll have to listen into Tuesday's show to find out. Information on this segment was gathered from the Weather Channel. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for amazing theme music that's playing right now. We'd like to thank Mark Fussell, Matt Zeman, Nick Hyman, Asher Korn, Hannah Copeland, Addison Lambert, Griffin Ham, Jonathan Gillum, Ben Kruger, Ben Haney, Dixon Lawson, Peter Walk, Taylor Sandal, the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Coda. And I'd like to thank you, Ivy. And finally, we couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you. And with that, we'll see you next time.